I'm Alexandra Joe, Culture and Content Manager at Parting Stone, and this is the Death Care Decoded Podcast. In this podcast, we explore trends in the death profession, uncovering valuable insights through conversations with industry thought leaders. Our mission is to bring forward-thinking education to death care professionals. This week, I sit down with Joelle Simone Anthony, sacred grief practitioner, licensed funeral director, and death care educator, also known as the Grave Woman, to talk about transhumanism. Our conversation explores the future of death in an age of rapidly advancing technology and what that future looks like for the death care profession. We discuss virtual extensions of consciousness, biological life-extending technologies, and how death care professionals can start looking ahead to caring for families as the concepts of life, death, and self continue to evolve. You are jumping into a conversation with myself and Joelle Simone Anthony. Maybe we can get started with me just asking you, like, what is transhumanism? So I'm going to give you my definition and I'm going to give you Google's definition because they're always fact checkers out there and I refuse to be canceled. Okay. (laughs) So my definition of transhumanism is technology and AI being integrated either into our actual anatomy or our consciousness, which the consciousness part, I mean, that's that happened years ago, but the anatomy part, I mean, when you think about it, a pacemaker is a form of transhumanism, in my opinion. So before I get too deep into that, let me look up what Google says, because Google, you know, knows everything. Transhumanism is a philosophical movement, the proponents of which advocate and predict the enhancement of the human condition by developing and making widely available sophisticated technologies able to greatly enhance longevity, mood and cognitive behavior or abilities. So like I said, a pacemaker, I think that um, even some some psychotics and antidepressants, their forms of technology, I mean, they, they increase the mood or they improve mood or help mood. Medication is a form of scientific transhumanism, I guess, if that's a thing. But in my mind, when I when I think about transhumanism from a death care perspective, particularly, I'm looking at it as like an embalmer, as a crematory operator, and as a funeral director. How is this technology going to affect the way that we care for the deceased and the effect of mortality in itself? Um, the definition provided by Wikipedia said that it's designed to lengthen our lives. So who's to say there won't be a bridge that we reach either in consciousness or in actual anatomy that allows us to essentially live forever, you know? Wow. That raises so many crazy questions for me. And then it makes me think, this is the big thing. What's considered dead if the technology works? but the actual physicality of the individual or the consciousness isn't dead, then who's dead? Yeah. Right. Like, is it it just about like biology at that point? You know, like our biological body we're born into is dead, but our consciousness lives on in basically a bunch of assembled like Android robot parts. Like this is so interesting. And I don't think that we have clear definitions for these things yet. Right. 
We don't. And like we talked about the last time, um, cryogenic, cryogenics or um, cryonic su suspension, where people are actually put into these capsules with the belief that one day they're going to be resurrected either consciously or in physical form back into the world. They are not considered, they are considered legally dead, but they don't consider themselves medically dead. That's a real line that exists now that is very blurred. Whoa. Yeah. So um, as a funeral professional and as like a, just a, a person that likes to think, that just opens the door so many ways um, in so many different directions. I've seen some interesting things out there like um, technologies that will allow you to use virtual reality to have conversations with your deceased loved ones. Um, so basically the one that I saw advertised, it was for parents who lost children, particularly mothers, and they would put on the virtual reality and they'd have videos and like a an AI representation or a digital representation of the deceased child playing with the parent, conversing with the parent, talking to the parent, hugging the parent. Yeah. And I, I don't want to like, I don't want to sound judgmental, like, oh, this is crazy because I mean, I'm really open-minded. However, I don't think that we are giving a lot of consideration to the psychological ramifications of these developments. We're just coming out with all these technologies so fast, so fast, so fast. But how is this affecting our psyches? How do we process this information? How do we then process grief if you can just put on a virtual reality headset and, you know, sensory devices and interact with your deceased right. loved one? Well, because that seems like it's just putting a Band-Aid on those unpleasant feelings of grief and loss. And we're not right. processing them. And, right. and then, at a certain point, that's yeah. not healthy. You know? It's not. But... Wow. But also, like, you know, I think about people I love that are deceased and like how wonderful it would feel to be able to have a conversation with them again. And what kind of suspension of disbelief would have to be present for me to get out of the idea that this is an algorithm or an AI software making choices and talking to me, not the person. And then it raises that question of like, where is the line if so much of their personality and consciousness has been uploaded? Where is the line between the person and the technology? Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah. And I think, um, like, from my perspective, we talked a little bit about my culture before, but for those of you who don't know, I'm from Beaufort, South Carolina, which is the place where just about every person of African descent in this country can trace their lineage. Um, because after Beaufort, South Carolina, or one of many of the ports of on the Gullah Geechee Eastern Seaboard, um, which ranges all the way from Florida to parts of Virginia, um, we kind of lose track of our lineage because we were taken from our continent and countries of origin, our communities, our tribes. And like I was telling you, it's such a gift for you to be able to look back and have traced the burial sites of your loved ones, right? So a lot of my culture back home is based on ancestral honor and ancestral connection. Not necessarily connecting with that deceased individual, but connecting with their knowledge and their wisdom and their insight. For example, I just erected an altar in my home in honor of my grandfather and my uncle. However, 
I would never, like, I, I promise you, I visited my uncle's grave this weekend. He's visited me in dreams and he's actually physically spoken to me, like, since he passed away. But I would never, like, want to have him sitting on my couch. Like, that's my opinion. You know what I mean? It would freak me out. And I would check myself into a mental institution if that happened. Right. However, there are individuals who are so distraught by the loss of their children, their parents, whomever that individual was, that they seek and just want that opportunity so bad. And they're not approaching it from a spiritual standpoint. They're not approaching it from a, a necessarily... I don't want to say anyone's not lucid in that state, but they're not they're not approaching it from a place with boundaries, right? So I see such an opportunity for this technology and these possibilities that either exist or are potential or are in development to take advantage of so many people just seeking comfort. And I think that the more that we don't have conversations about death and grief and the more that the public views death care as like this shrouded shrouded in all this mystery the the worse that has the potential to be on the flip side I see how it can be extremely beautiful for maybe let's say someone's passing away from a terminal illness right and the technology exists to keep their organs functioning until all of their family members and those that they want to say goodbye to are present right but we've been searching for the fountain of youth since the beginning of time so it's just so interesting, Alexandra. Like I could go on and on and on about this forever. I've been giving this so much thought. I even did a podcast about it last week. Like I'm thinking about myself, like as an embalmer, if I'm in an embalming room and let's say the person's consciousness is gone, but their body is still moving because of technology. What the hell do you do with that? You know, what's the training? And then from a death care perspective, like an education perspective, will the death care industry and the medical industry then have to merge in order for death care professionals to know how to medically remove devices and technology and properly either discard or recycle or, you know, right now we, we remove pacemakers, but we don't go into the heart to take the pacemaker out. We just remove the, the part, you know, that's on the outside of the heart so that it doesn't explode in the retort um, during cremation. But that's about the extent of it. We don't take out nanotechnology. I don't think there's an embalmer alive that could do that, you know? So then what does that training look like for the death care industry moving forward? Right. And that kind of leads into a series of questions that I had after our last conversation about what should we even be doing as death care professionals to try and prepare for this? What are the, I mean, that's definitely one question that, that we need to ask ourselves, like, do we need to be getting more medical? Do we need to be like starting right now, training ourselves on learning about nanotechnology, being ahead of the game? What do you, what do you think death care professionals should do to prepare for these changes? Um, I think right now this com this conversation is speculative. Let me just give that disclaimer. But I think we need to really more than the embalming side, because um, as we know, cremation rates are rising, especially after COVID, cremation is going through the roof. Um, we need to be preparing ourselves more on the sociological and psychological side, because the more that technologies like this are integrated into our society and become more normalized, the more people are going to have 
a bigger gap in their cognitive dissonance with death and grief. It's going to be a choice eventually to either to grieve and mourn or to plug mom up into a VR or a hologram or, you know, so we need to be preparing ourselves for the extreme in emotional interaction with those that choose the grief experience. Yep. I love that answer. It makes this feel more tangible and less sci-fi. You know, it it's kind of pointing to things that are personal and within our control instead of like surmising about what kind of technology is going to be out there or uh, guessing. And it brings it back to that very human side of it, right? Because that's the whole question leading to these definitions of what what is the life, what is the person, and what is the technology? Where are those two things separate? Where Where are they connected? Yeah. I think we also need to prepare ourselves and build our facilities to have more humanistic services as opposed to religious and dogmatic services as well. The implementation of these technologies that prolong life and blur those lines between death and the human and the spirit and all of that, I foresee a lot of religious and dogmatic practices being implemented into death care less and less. Um, I observed it during COVID last year um, and even this year really? where people weren't able to, I mean, people couldn't have their traditional services. People couldn't do what they do traditionally. Maybe they did some things at home, but as far as we were concerned, it was really almost like an assembly line, mm -hmm. you know, and I, I hate to say Very that, true. but it was the truth. It's the truth. I'm not going to sugarcoat the truth. I mean, yeah, we didn't have time. We didn't have the space. We didn't have... The, the safety, we didn't know. So it was like, it was very methodical, very methodical. It was a, the, the least personal that it's ever been in my career. So, and that doesn't, I'm not saying that to say that I didn't care. I didn't do this. It was just sure. like, we have to get this done in the safest way possible. And this is how we have to do it. There was no leeway. There was mm -hmm. no workaround. So um, technology became a big part of the way that we did death care religion wasn't the head anymore and i see with this merge and this these lines being blurred the same thing happening but on a deeper level mm -hmm. yeah there's a lot there also i've i've started doing some preliminary research for an article about how younger generations are less religious mm -hmm. and there is there are a few studies out there with like qualitative data about how what you believe happens to your soul after you die determines what you want done with your body after you die. And this is interesting to me because I do feel like, yes, my generation, the millennials, Gen Zers after me are less religious than like my grandparents' generation. But I don't know that across the board we're less spiritual. And I think that's an interesting term definition right? To, to suss out and think about, right? Like I'm a very spiritual person. I don't say that I follow a specific religion. Like, and, and I think that that does change what I want done to my body versus like my grandparents who are Southern Baptist and want to be embalmed and buried because the Bible says that you need to have your body intact for Jesus to br bring you back, right? Like that's different. I'm very spiritual and very connected to the earth and want to have like a green burial, right? And so I think that trying to 
be prepared for the technology side of less religious. I like the word that you use, like dogmatic, right? Like less dogmatic. But how do how do we incorporate spirituality into this technological landscape of the future? You know, like where do those two things line up? You know, um, a lot of the conversation I've been having recently has been about approaching grief from a spiritual perspective, right? Because I'm a very spiritual person and I see death and grief and the whole mourning process and transitional process as very sacred and spiritual. However, as a professional, it is my job to show up as a blank palette. It is my job to show up and be the canvas for commemorating your loved one in the way that either they chose or that you're choosing. And what I always tell my students, especially when talking about spirituality, is the only thing that's different between spirituality and religion is the fact that instead of saying, this is what they say I have to do to connect with God or nature or whatever, spirit, whatever you want to call it, I'm saying this is how I connect with God, spirit, earth, nature. It's very personal. So that is what we have to accommodate, not only in the future, but now. That's what it should be about. Um, as a spiritual person, I don't necessarily think that my religious upbringing and beliefs and those of beliefs of my family should dictate the way that I commune with God, that I celebrate with God, that I mourn and grieve and, you know, just all of those things, that relation, relational part. So whatever the decedent's relation is to spirit, essence, God, whatever, it's our job to create a space for them to do that. And I've, I've, like I said, I've seen it in the last year where families have come up with such creative ways to personalize. So personalization is the key. It, it should have always been the key, but now more than ever it is. So that's awesome to hear. Um, I recently had Jason Engler, who is a cremation and urn historian and celebrant and licensed funeral director onto the podcast. And he talked about the stages, the historical stages of cremation. And According to him, we're in the era of personalization right now, where everyone wants to have their own ritual around death and do something yes. very individualized with cremated remains and stuff like that. So that's really great that I love that these two conversations align, right? Because, yeah. you know, I think it's going to be really helpful for our listeners to hear that over and over again, that it's not about what their preferences are and it's not about what their religion is but it's about what the family needs in order to connect to that spirituality and the spirituality of their deceased loved one and and how to make that experience personal and unique and really meaningful yeah i think it's really important to think about in in this kind of transhumanist future that that we're you know speculatively but probably heading in so right yeah. And I mean, yeah. think about it. Um, and I, we kind of touched on this before, but right now I am Joelle, right? I'm the grave woman you know, online, tra transhumanistically. I'm the grave woman. <laughs> oh, sorry. But um, <laughs> at the end of the day, my spirit is conversing with your spirit. And we are having this connection. Like if you found out I died tomorrow, you don't care what my name was. You care about the interaction. How do you feel having this conversation? What are you right. taking away? What are you learning? What am I learning? You know, what are we creating? Right. And I feel like that should, that should be central 
especially at funeral service and in death care. Um, my favorite thing to do is to ask my families that I work with, what was the best time that you had with your loved one? I asked them what the best time and the worst time was. And we, we create services around someplace in the middle because believe it or not, those horrible memories make great stories. Everybody laughs about them. Nobody's mad anymore. So, you know, I have a, a, a piece of furniture in my house that is my favorite piece of furniture because my ex and I bought it together during Christmas instead of doing gifts. And it was the first piece of furniture we'd bought for our place that we shared. You know, that was a spiritual experience. And when, you know, I look at it, I have that connection. That's what funeral service should be. What is the connection that you have to your loved one? And how can we pull little pieces of that connection out to tell this story? Not just about them, but about your relationship with them. Because it's not for the dead person. At least not yet. <laughs> not yet, right. Yeah, I mean, that becomes a question when if we upload our consciousness, can our virtual reality self attend our own funeral, you know? You know, there's a music video that was so controversial. I think it was on Little Nas X, where he's like giving mm -hmm. the devil a lap dance and yes. all that stuff. Oh, I, I know and Montero not... very well. <laughs> Montero, that's it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, it, you know, it was so controversial. I don't have feelings about it one way or the other. I recognize art mm -hmm. when I see it. However, from a spirit, from a religious standpoint, I see how I have feelings about it. But sure. I, my sister and I were talking and I was like, do you realize that like we're literally opening dimensions with this technology? When I mean, we've been told about hell and we've seen little cartoons and people on the side of the street with pictures of hell and devils and all that stuff. We've seen that imagery, but now with technology and CGI and all that stuff we just talked about that we don't really think is us because it's still on the TV, you know, we've opened dimensions and portals that have never been opened before through technology. So who's to say that death should be left out of that? I really am curious to know what Elon Musk thinks about like end of life. Like I tweeted him once and I'm like, hey, Elon, you want to talk about death care? Because I, I want to know. I just want to know his thoughts, you know, not saying they're right or wrong or anything. I'm just sure they're wild. Yeah. yeah. Real. I mean, this is the I, dude like, that like launched a Tesla with a spacesuit in it just to orbit the Earth for a little while because he could. Like, yeah, I'm because sure he, could. he has. Yeah. I'm sure he has some right. crazy thoughts. Yeah. And like. I want to know what is the process, what is his plan for death in Mars? Because, you know, that's, you know, he's saying he has something set up for people, not necessarily me or you, but, you know, people. But, yeah, I want to know what does he have a plan for a morgue? What is he going to do with bodies when they die up there? How how is how are our bodies going to decompose differently or respond differently to the environment on other planets? If there's no forest, you know, to, that when you, if there's no mycelium, when you bury a person, what happens? <gasps> what I never happens? thought about that before. Oxygen. Oxygen. Right. Water. Right. So I attended a, um, a space burial in New Mexico. I think I told you this a couple years ago. And Charlie Schaefer is a great guy. He's the, the founder of Celestis. And in his greeting to the families that were there sending their loved ones, you know, out into the atmosphere or out of the atmosphere. He said that it was his belief and his team's belief that we are to be interplanetary species. 
and that death was nothing more than the next horizon. That was some of the deepest shit I've ever heard in my life. He said it like, it blew my mind, but he said it like, hey, you want to have a cup of coffee on Tuesday morning? Like it's like he didn't <laughs> say it like it, it's it's going to happen. He said it like it's happening and you're a part of it because you're participating in this. And I don't know wow. if anybody else caught that, but I kind of like I got chills. I'm getting chills even thinking about it. So it's no Seriously. telling what they have going on up there. Yeah. Oh my God. And so when you say space burial, just for any listeners who may not be familiar with that. What do you mean by space burial? So they've developed this process where they take what they call a commemorative portion, which is a very small portion of cremated remains, cremains. They put it into one of several tiers of capsule, attach it to a rocket and send it either out of Earth's orbit and back down and you get it back to the moon and back, or they just send it out into space to just travel forever. It's astonishing. Whoa. Yeah. Like human voyager, right? right? Yeah. Like just going for, oh my God. And it, that's what it's called. I think the voyager, um, that, that, that service where it just goes out, I think that's called their voyager series. Okay. Um, yeah. Cause that's, that's the like probe that we sent in the seventies, I think. Right. With that. It's like playing a record that's like singing right. things and like whale sounds and right. like babies laughing and stuff. And it's just, it, it left our solar system and we lost track of it a couple of years ago. Fascinating stuff. Where like it, it, the solar gravitational field where we can like measure things, it like crossed that boundary. So we don't know where it went. We can't, we can't. And like, who's intercepted it? Well, I guess people are just going to do the same thing. Ha! Huh? I was just thinking that I'm like, it's almost like a mirror. Yep. Do you watch Black Mirror on Netflix? I do. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So you saw yeah. the episode of the, um, the lady who lost her fiance, her husband in the car accident and then her friend told her about the service where she could like yep. clone him essentially. And what I found was so interesting was that um, that scene where she told him to jump off the cliff and he was like, okay. And she was like, no, he would have been scared. You're not him. So to kind of like wrap up that part of our conversation, I think to answer our question that we asked earlier about what's that line, you can never, like we're not God, you know? or the the supreme being or the right. ultimate consciousness whatever you call it we're not that so even if we're able to like bring back imagery and bring back functionality of things that are have have taken the natural progression there's a difference between the 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 quantity of time we have here and the quality of the experience and part of that experience is our essence and I feel like that's meant to expire, at least in this realm. Absolutely. You know, two things come to mind. First of all, I'm like a huge sci-fi and fantasy nerd, and I've always been super death curious, and I've always been really into media that talks about death and experiences. And yeah, so I'm thinking about like all of this, you know, vampire fiction and Buffy the Vampire Slayer and all these things that I was into in high school, and even like Sylvia Plath poetry and like Edgar Allan Poe. And what they all have in common and what they really made me realize kind of early on is that because we as humans have this finite existence, that's what makes it important is that it, it is finite. 
because we don't live forever, you know, it makes being here really, really important. It makes everything that we do, every decision we make, everything that we choose to spend our time and energy and attention doing while we're here, it's, it's what gives that significance. Yeah, I mean, there, there could be some really big, really big consequences to trying to and possibly in some way succeeding and having humanity exist forever in one consciousness or one form of consciousness. I don't really know where I was going with that. Just following up on some things, but good stuff. stuff. (laughs) That was deep. (laughs) Oh, and that was the other thing is like we had mentioned in our previous conversation, like you had talked about headstones that have the, QR codes on them so you can pull up a person's like Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat account after they're they're dead. So I mean transhumanism has the implication of we are curating our own afterlife existence while we're living on social media. Yeah. You know what it is? This is so cliche. It's digital <laughs> legacy. Mm, yeah. Or virtual and legacy. It's so weird totally. because your legacy used to be the lessons you taught your kids, the land that you 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 left your kids the money you left your kids you know the wisdom and the character that you left inside it seems like things are and i'm not saying that people that develop this technology and that choose these technologies are immoral but it seems like society is moving further and further away from morality and into ego ego yes Mm mm-hmm ego yep that's that's what it boils down to yeah because yeah the idea of like i'm not my children aren't my legacy anymore and so i need to instill good values in them it's like my best right. selfie is my we're legacy so now. deep and uh narcissist we're so deep in that pond we're stuck mm-hmm. and we don't even know mm-hmm. and i don't know if that's a good or a bad thing i'm gonna be so honest with you because i've read studies where selfies have improved people's confidence but then we crowdsource for approval, which tears your confidence down, right? Like we get to see ourselves. Like I don't want to walk around with a booger on my face. Like I, I hope you tell me, but if I can turn on my phone and say, oh God, check my makeup, you know, it, it right. it's a level of confidence that comes with that. But then where's that line? Right. And I struggle with that so much, like especially doing YouTube and social media. It is an ego trip if you allow it to yep. be. And I'm starting to see it in other energies. And we talked about consciousness, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, you can upload your consciousness to the cloud. But is is the cloud the important part? Or is the expansion of your consciousness the important part? What level of consciousness do you consistently want to relive? Do you consistently want to relive in that insecurity or do you consistently want to live in, I don't want to say love and light, but do you want to live in selflessness <laughs> and those things that are on the on that other, that, mor- that morality side that we're getting away right. from? But taking, if we're, if we're talking about uploading someone's entire consciousness and then if we're being selective about what that is, right? Like, oh, we can get rid of all the like insecurities. At what point does that not become the person anymore? And are we uploading consciousness from womb to age two? Because the gift that we have right now is time. 
-hmm. We have time to grow and expand. And that's what I think about when I think about the DNA chain, it's like compressed and there's mm -hmm. so much information on there, but we have the gift of time that stretches it out. Right. Mm -hmm. In the, I mean, 5G literally proved that, you know, we can send messages at the speed of light. We can have this conversation in real time. Wow. So imagine the, the, how fast things move in that, you know, as we go further and further up that ladder, what is, what is, what is consciousness? Is it a second? Is it eternity? Is it, you know, there's so many variables. Like I, my mind is just like racing right now. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. I, this is such rich food for thought. And the exciting thing is that like, I, I think we're going to get to see some of it un, unfurl in our lifetime. Maybe not all of it. Maybe not everything we're talking about. Maybe not the Elon Musk Mars colony, but I think we're going to get to see some of it open up and become like real things we have to deal with in, um, in our, in our lifetimes. So do you want to see super it? thankful? I don't know. You know, you, you would think that the instant answer to the, that would be, yes, I do want to live as long as I can, but I would really have to sit down and do make some definitive answers for myself based on the information available about at what point is it not me anymore? And at what, like, what quality of life would I have? So, yeah. Let me tell you this. I'm gonna tell you two things. I'll start off with this. I remember, um, I have my dog sitting right here. And I remember um, my dad and I used to live together. And when I was leaving that apartment, I had the hardest time finding an apartment that didn't want an outrageous amount of money for a pet deposit. And I had considered giving her away after having her for about, I think, four or five years at that point. And I was going to give her to somebody where I could go see her whenever I wanted, spend time with her, pick her up, spend a night with her, whatever. But I love her so mm -hmm. much. She's my child. I don't have children. And yeah. in that moment, I understood what death was. Because, mm -hmm. at least from my own cultural perspective and from my own personal beliefs, I am the only home she has ever known. And me taking her away from me and giving her to someone else would be the equivalent of me dying to her right mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. a part of me would have died not having her consistently anymore mm -hmm. and i was so mm -hmm. grateful that i don't have to live and die at the same time when my life while i'm here i'm here mm -hmm. but then when i'm gone i want to be gone like, I don't want to, I don't want to go back and forth. Like, I don't want to have to walk in both worlds. Like, I just, it hurt me so much to think of her not being here. But the fact that I was the only home that she knew, like, I just couldn't do it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I've had that experience before at the funeral home where I've honestly envied the dead because they don't have to be concerned with any of this crap anymore. Like they don't have to. And I'm so afraid. I believe in the words rest in peace. Um, mm -hmm. I'm so afraid that if this integration of technology is not done morally and, and consciously and with consideration of all of the things we've discussed and so much more, that it will take mm -hmm. the peace out of death. Mm. Because I mm. truly believe there's peace in death. Yeah, absolutely. 
Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I've really, really enjoyed our conversations and I look forward to more very soon. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure and I'll come back anytime you want. This production is brought to you by Parting Stone, who wants to remind you that when your families choose cremation, they don't have to receive cremated remains.